I have read a study, though, Grady, where if you sleep deprive yourself and you do a hit workout instead, it ends up making up for it. <laughs> and that is that is out there. following discussion is for educational purposes only and is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. Please do not apply any of this information without first speaking with your doctor. What is up everyone and welcome to the Diabetes Podcast where we discuss how to take control of your health and gain the freedom to live the life that you deserve. I'm Gary Pano, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Grady Donahoe, who is a board-certified chiropractic internist. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Diabetes Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about managing type 2 diabetes. And, you know, we could end the podcast in two seconds and just say, you know, diet, exercise, stress. Boom, we're done. But, uh, you know, these things seem simple, and, and they are to an extent. But I think there's value in diving deeper into what these words mean and how we can use these three really big, powerful tools um, to manage our health and to manage our lives and, you know, just actually live the best life that we can. And, you know, so we're going to start off with some diet and nutrition. And so, you know, Grady, what are some ways as a type 2 diabetic that you can use diet and nutrition to better manage your type 2 diabetes? So to put it very simply, we need to eat a healthier diet. Yes. So in our standard American diet, we eat a lot of carbohydrates, we Mm -hmm. eat a lot of processed um, food, and that creates inflammation and it creates an excess in carbohydrates. So those are the two things we're going to kind of focus on. And like we talked about last time with that whole process and pathway that we get to type 2 diabetes, we're going to try and reverse that process. So we talked about how intaking a large amount of carbohydrates over a long period of time leads to those stores of glycogen being filled up and then our liver starts converting that excess glucose into fat and then that gets overwhelmed and creates high blood sugar. Now what we want to do is decrease that intake so we're not burdening that system anymore. So we're decreasing our intake so now we can burn that excess glucose that's in the bloodstream Mm. and bring our blood sugar down and we can also start burning that fat that we made by having that excess glucose and we can start burning that for energy. Oh, okay. Um, And we'll dive deeper into that when we talk more about the specific diets um, that have been shown to be successful with Mm -hmm. uh, type 2 diabetes. But essentially, the big component, at least in my mind, is decreasing the amount of carbohydrates and glucose that you're getting into the bloodstream. Mm. Because there's other ways of going about it, too, you know. Yes. Um, So decreasing carbohydrates and low-carb diets. And, you know, you kind of said that all we're talking about is in the SAD diet, you know, right now is the carbohydrates and the processed foods. But, you know, there could be plenty more 
to be said about these things that, that we're just not saying in this particular episode, like, mm-hmm. you know, the types of omega oils you have, omega threes and sixes and good oils and bad oils and, mm-hmm. um, you know, GMOs or non GMOs or, you know, that healthy meats or, you know, grass fed, you know, all those types of things I think have a conversation, but in your mind, you know, a really, really big factor is that low carbohydrate type diet mm-hmm. or at least decreasing your diet. So okay. there are diets that have been shown to help with type two diabetes that aren't mm-hmm. necessarily a ketogenic diet, mm-hmm. but you're still decreasing the amount of carbohydrates that gotcha. you're intaking. And at the same time, you're changing the types of carbohydrates you're intaking. Mm-hmm. So it's not the refined quick hit carbohydrates that hit your system super mm-hmm. hard, meaning that it spikes the blood sugar really quick. Mm-hmm. It's more of those carbohydrates that are slower digesting, slower absorbing. Mm. So it's not as big of a punch to your liver and your blood sugar. Sure. That Especially is. when you're in that insulin resistance model. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the first things that come to me naturally of higher, you know, that would be termed higher glycemic, you know, higher glycemic foods that would be faster even if it was natural, would be, you know, things like fruit. Mm-hmm. And fruit isn't bad by any means, but when you're in the state of trying to change your insulin resistance, um, that could, depending on the model you're following, could maybe inhibit what you're trying to do. Yes. Yep. And um, like you said, you know, there's other diets out there, and I think for me at least it's hard to ignore and not think about, you know, there is, even that I don't like low-fat diets, but there's data out there that supports low-fat diets help decrease weight, and decrease weight is decrease inflammation, and that mm-hmm. decreases insulin resistance and can help with that yep. too. And that's exactly why I kind of said we need to eat a healthier diet, right. period. Yeah, I don't think anybody would argue that the sad diet, the sad American diet is, <laughs> is good, yeah. um, unless they like just being sad. Mm-hmm. But yep. no one likes being sad. Yep. Another big component is inflammation we've talked about inflammation over and over again Mm -hmm. we talked about a lot last time but inflammation the biggest source of inflammation at least what i see in my practice is through the diet Mm. and so if we can decrease the amount of inflammatory foods that we're eating that can really help increase our insulin resistance or sorry increase our insulin sensitivity and decrease our insulin resistance uh, making our blood sugar better so those are things like your processed foods your processed meats um, mm-hmm. even things like, um, your refined carbohydrates of breads and sugars, those are very inflammatory mm. and something we haven't talked about yet, which is food sensitivities. So food sensitivities are where your body tags food that you eat, whether that's healthy, generally speaking mm-hmm. or not, it tags that as foreign and starts an immune reaction to it. Kind of like we talked about in that episode with type 1 diabetes, where your body starts reacting to the things that are in the gut. Mm-hmm. Your That can cause a lot of inflammation. Mm-hmm. And with that inflammation, like we talked about last time, that can lead to insulin resistance. So having that tagging, you know, is that, that sensitivity, is that different than an allergy? Yes. So allergies, to without food. getting into crazy specifics Mm -hmm. allergies are a quick severe response which Mm -hmm. is part of your ige response Mm -hmm. which is part of your immune system whereas with sensitivities it's more of an iga igg which is a different part of your immune system okay which is 
not as quick and severe. It's something that is slow developing. Gotcha. And so with food sensitivities, it can be hard to recognize those things because they aren't as immediate as allergic reactions. So mm. with allergic reactions, the common things, oh, my throat swells up or my tongue swells up, I can't breathe, um, or I get you know a skin reaction. Those are common allergy reactions, and they're immediate. You're exposed to something, your immune system responds, and you get that symptom. Mm-hmm. Whereas with food sensitivities, it's it's it can be anywhere from a couple hours to three days before you get that reaction. Wow, that's hard to f- figure out then. Mm-hmm. It can be very hard to figure out, and that's why there's testing that you can do, which we can talk about later. But um, it's something that you do probably want to figure out to see. Are the foods that I'm ingesting actually working for me or against me? Because there are some instances where healthy foods, like broccoli, for example, Mm. some person may be eating broccoli because I think most people would agree broccoli is pretty good for you. Yeah, seems healthy. It looks like a tree, right? Exactly. That's how you grow. (laughs) But for some people, maybe that broccoli, their body's reacting to it and therefore creating a lot of inflammation because of it. And that reaction is because of the barrier that's breached within the gut. Yes. I see. Okay. I think it's starting to make sense. Yep. And so we need to pay attention to what foods we're eating and making sure that they're helping us and not hurting us as far as the inflammation goes. And that can be another component of bringing down your blood sugar because Mm -hmm. inflammation, like we've talked about, um, can raise your blood sugar. Along with that, bringing down inflammation, we can utilize different nutrients and supplements that can help bring down inflammation, um, but also some things that can help with insulin sensitivity. So on our anti-inflammatory side of things, we can talk about things like um, omega-3 fatty acids Mm. are really helpful for bringing down inflammation Mm -hmm. and helping with insulin resistance. Also, when we talk about inflammation, we can talk about curcumin Mm. or turmeric is... Um, so curcumin is a extract from turmeric, which is very anti-inflammatory. At the same time, we have things like resveratrol, which has been shown to bring down inflammation. And so these things can help augment, um, your process of getting to a good blood sugar. It's not an end all be all, but it can just help you get to where you want to get a little bit faster, a little bit more efficiently, and maybe even get you over a plateau that you're going through. Um, I always tell patients that the supplements that we give you shouldn't be something you rely on. Right. This is something to get you over a hump to improve function in your body so that way your body can heal itself and get it to where it can function properly. A supplemental aid, one might say. Oh, yes. It's crazy how it says that in the name of supplement. I know, right? Um, Some things that we can take that will help with insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance are things like berberine. Berberine has been one of those that has been shown to be very effective for uh, type 2 diabetes. Is that an herb or what is that? That is an herb that comes actually from golden seal. Um, It's an extract from golden seal. And it's been shown to be very effective for type 2 diabetics in bringing down their blood sugar. Mm. Um, I think you'll find a study on it. Oh, yeah. there's. I think there's one or two really good studies that I like to point out when talking about berberine with people. And that 
Because what berberine does is acts in a in a similar fashion, very similar fashion to the metformin, which is a very popular drug, standard of care for type two diabetics and plenty of other conditions, and now is even thought to be you know a very anti aging type drug because it amplifies what is called the AMPK pathway. When the AMPK pathway stands for the AMP activated protein kinase, and that do, that name doesn't really explain much what it does, <laughs> but what AMP is adenosine monophosphate, just like ATP, which is triphosphate. You know, you might have heard of ATP as the currency of energy in the body. Well, instead of three phosphates on this molecule, AMP is one. So this protein is called AMP-activated protein kinase. And AMPK protein kinase does so many things in the body and regulates so many things. It regulates metabolism, regulates um, lipogenesis and lipolysis, which means fat creation and fat, like breaking up fat to utilize as energy and modulates gluconeogenesis. You know, anything, especially when it comes to glucose metabolism, AMPK is there as a big regulatory component. And so what berberine does is it activates that pathway and that changes all the inside the cell effects to better control your blood sugar. And there's two really good studies. Um, one just showing the um, effectiveness of a of this pathway activation through berberine. And then there's another study, um, and we'll link both of these in the show notes, um, another study that compares AMP, or sorry, I keep saying AMPK right away, but it compares berberine to metformin and shows how berberine in this trial actually if performed the same, if not better, than metformin on these wow. patients. And it's, a, it's an herb, like you said. And so it's a very powerful tool that you can use to help kind of mimic that pathway and kind of control your blood sugar. I know when I am a little stressed and I have some cortisol going and just for whatever reason, I'll take some berberine to kind of dampen the effect of the cortisol and amplify that pathway and just make my glucose metabolism a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, there's some several other supplements that help activate that AMPK pathway. Things like uh, burdock root, uh, rose root, also alpha lipoic acid, and um, vanadyl sulfate. So that's a lot of weird words to throw at you, mm -hmm. but those are just herbs that you can use and uh, some nutrients that you can use to help activate that pathway. Some other things that are helpful in type 2 diabetes are actually a supplement called gemnema sylvestri. So what? what is that? Yeah, that's a kind of a weird word. Mm -hmm. So gemnema sylvestri helps in a couple of different ways. For one, it helps decrease your sugar cravings. One one interesting thing that you can do with gemnema sylvestri is actually kind of suck on the tablet and then try and eat something that's really sweet and it doesn't taste like anything. It's kind what? of it's kind of wild and crazy. That is weird. Yeah, I've never done that. Another thing that it does is it helps actually increase the amount of beta cells that you have but this only happens if you take it for a longer period of time so over you know a longer period of time you start to develop um, more of those beta cells which is very interesting that is interesting mm -hmm. um, some other things that can be helpful are cinnamon which cinnamon helps with decreasing the glucose spike that you have with foods i've tried this i honestly haven't noticed too much of a difference um, but there is some literature that shows that it does help with that. Mm. Also, magnesium and chromium are very common to be supplemented with type 2 diabetics to help a little bit with blood sugar control. 
and your electrolyte balance as well. Mm. So there's definitely a lot of things that we can do nutritionally and not only with supplements, but with our diet um, to help with this insulin resistance and bringing down our blood sugar. Mm -hmm. But that's not the only thing. Exercise is a big portion of that too. Absolutely. So let's talk about that a little bit. So I don't think any of us in reality or even clinically need any more proof or data to say that exercise is beneficial. You know, I think we all we all get it. Like exercise is, is beneficial. However, I think there's power in knowing how exercise can affect um, certain aspects of our lives, and in particular, you know, we can use then use that information in certain ways to our benefit. So when it comes to blood sugar and exercise, it's all about GLUT4, which we've talked about previously. So we've talked about GLUT4 in the aspect of skeletal muscle and cardiac muscle and adipocytes you know, or fat cells. And how when insulin binds to its receptor, it kind of brings GLUT4 to that plasma membrane or that cell wall, you know, incorrectly saying, but into the yeah. wall of the cell. And while what that happens with insulin, but there's that pathway is also activated in the presence of exercise. So, um, like we said, GLUT4 is that actual door that comes about. And so what happens is in that skeletal muscle, when it's contracting, induces a signal, which we already talked about, through AMPK pathway. So when you're contracting your skeletal muscle, the regular muscle that we think about when we think of muscles, you know, biceps and things like that, that AMPK pathway is going to be activated. Same thing with plenty of other calcium pathways and nitric oxide synthase pathways and lots of intracellular events that lead to both the translocation or the moving of GLUT4 as well as the, the transcription and translation of GLUT4 actually from the DNA. And so these pathways end up activating histone deacetylase enzymes, things like that, that actually really get in the nitty-gritty of the epigenetics. But that's what allows more GLUT4 to be made, and that GLUT4 then goes within the cell. So by exercising, you know, acutely, and there's plenty of studies to document this, um, that GLUT4 will then be created and then be put on the plasma membrane for more glucose to come in. So that's why when you work out, for most people, and myself at least initially, when you work out, it'll probably drop your blood sugar. And the more you work out, the longer of effect that'll happen. Now, if you work out once, doesn't mean you have more GLUT4 and you're good to go. Yeah. You know, eventually that effect will go away. But if you do it more often, that effect remains longer. And the more you move, whether it be extended cardio, HIIT training, like slower state cardio, you know, more kind of muscular endurance and muscular strength with lifting weights, you know, even things like Zumba, you know, whatever it is. When you start to move your muscles and create lots of contraction within those muscles, it's going to upregulate that GLUT4 and will help facilitate more glucose into the cell which is a really good thing for anybody, but in particular when you're insulin resistant, you're literally making a pathway that insulin would be used. And so because insulin resistance, like you've said, Grady, before, you're knocking on the door and they're not answering, well, this makes another door. Yep. So exercise allows another door to be open when insulin is knocking. So I was about to make a joke, but <laughs> <laughs> so when insulin's knocking and um, it's not getting allowing glucose in, exercise creates that other door and that other pathway to let it inside the cell. And you can use that to your benefit as type 2 diabetic, as a type 1 diabetic, as a non-diabetic. Yep. 
it's great for just overall insulin sensitivity. Yep, that's great. So I think it's great that you bring up the point about being kind of consistent with that exercise because like you said if we just work out once we are activating that glute four but that doesn't last forever Mm -hmm. so consistency is the key and i think that's the key to this whole condition not only with type two but type one if you are consistent you're going to have a lot more success so and when we're talking about type two diabetes if we're consistent with our diet eating a healthy diet and we're consistent with our exercise we're going to have a lot of success if we're in and we're out mm-hmm. and we're all back and forth. You're not going to have the success you want. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get the results that you want. So it's a, it's f- for me and what I've seen in my practice and for me, what I see with myself, consistency is key. Absolutely. So moving on, let's talk about some stress reduction techniques because we talked a lot about stress last time of how we can bring down our stress level so that way our blood sugar can be better. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I'd like to talk about is sleep Mm. because it's the most foundational thing. Absolutely. If we get good sleep, Mm -hmm. we have less stress Mm -hmm. because our cortisol rhythm and our circadian rhythm are very intertwined. And if we have a good circadian rhythm, we have good levels of cortisol for the most part. Mm. Um, And like you said um, on the last podcast, when we're sleeping, we're in a, a parasympathetic state. So mm-hmm. we're in that rest and digest, healing and recovery state. And that's very powerful to, for healing and, and everything like that. So I think it's very good to get the proper sleep, the proper amount of sleep that we need, and also getting good quality of sleep. Because we can get what is recommended, you know, seven to eight hours of sleep. But if that quality of sleep isn't very good, then it's not going to have the same effect. Mm. So I think it's very important to pay attention how well you sleep in those seven, eight hours or however long you're sleeping Mm. and doing the things that will help improve that sleep. So we talked about how caffeine can affect things. So caffeine can affect your your circadian rhythm. Mm. And so if you're having trouble with that, you know, maybe not drinking coffee before you go to bed. Also, you know, thinking about your lighting and looking at screens because that can affect your circadian rhythm and how your brain reacts to that. So I, I think that's something we should probably dive in a little bit deeper. We might not have time for that on this podcast, but I think it's important just to highlight sleep is very important in dealing with stress. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's hard to monitor your own sleep because you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, signs of poor sleep or when you're waking up frequently. Yep. And whether if you're go- waking up to go to the bathroom or you're just waking up, you know, that is still a sign of, you know, poor sleep hygiene. And actually often if you wake up in the middle of the night, it's chances are it's because of low blood sugar. Mm-hmm. And you're actually dipping down in the middle of the night and your body wakes up because that's a sympathetic response. And you say, hey, I don't need to sleep. I need to eat. Mm-hmm. And then you end up grabbing a snack or something like that. Yep. Um, so that's a sign of some poor sleep hygiene, as well as if you're tossing and turning and you wake up and you just don't feel refreshed, you know, that's another bad of, or that's another way of identifying you have bad sleep hygiene. And, you know, you, you, I think it's pretty easy to tell like, man, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a lot of good sleep last night. Um, your positioning, those types of things, um, are all signs of poor sleep hygiene. But I, I have read a study though, Grady, where if you sleep deprive yourself 
and you do a hit workout instead and ends up making up for it. <laughs> and that is that is out there. But yeah, um, I'll I, take your word for it. <laughs> um, I forgot the details of it. Uh, maybe I'll try to find it for the show notes. But the point is, it's you already mentioned on consistency. And regardless of you trying to do that consistently, consistently or not is irrelevant. You know, you can't get around sleeping. And this is something I've learned the hard way. Yeah. Because I've definitely, <laughs> I used to sleep three or four hours a night and four to five hours a night. And just because I would be so stressed thinking that I had to use my time during the day to get things done. But when you actually get the sleep you need and you wake up refreshed, you can use your brain way more efficiently. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy that your brain can be efficient yeah. when you get sleep. And so, um, and even a, you can almost consider it a challenge if you are avoiding sleep because you're trying to be productive. You can say, you know, I'm going to try to do more in less amount of time. That is the sign of efficiency. Yep. You know, so if you can sleep more and then do more in less time, you are therefore efficient in your day to day as well as efficient in your sleeping. Oh, those yeah. are both good things. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that can really help is meditation. I think you and me both have experienced a lot of good things coming from meditation, a lot mm-hmm. of decrease in stress. Um, I know me personally, kind of like what you just said with sleep and how it can affect your brain efficiency. I've noticed a lot with meditation how much more efficient my brain is when I meditate. Mm-hmm. It almost helps clear things out, clear all the clutter out so that I can pick things apart, pick mm-hmm. the things out that are important and what I need to do and get done and get them done much more efficiently. Um, mm-hmm. What are your experiences with meditation? Well, I think I was pretty resistant at first oh, yeah. um, to meditation. And, you know, I was kind of doing it more because um, of a crazy club. I ended up joining a chiropractic school. <laughs> um, but um, so I, I dove into it pretty, pretty easily. Um, but I think, you know, some people can be, they can be resistant to the idea of meditation. You know, I can't quiet my mind. My mind's too restless. I can't just sit there and think about nothing. And it's not about trying to think about nothing, but it's more about trying to let go and just be present in this given moment. Mm-hmm. And if you do have a hard time letting go and try to meditate by yourself, and if you're not in an organization or a club that you know can help you with those types of things, the, I think apps are really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a really popular one that I've used plenty of times is called Headspace. And then I think Calm is another one. Oh, yeah. And But head, Headspace is like guided meditation. And I know there's student discounts to that. There's free trials and, you know, plenty of other things like that. But if you you can even do guided meditations on YouTube. Yeah, just or go, Spotify, I think, has some too. Boom. There you go. You know, there's all these free resources out there for guided meditations. If you can't do it yourself... Well, you're not doing it alone. Plenty of people are doing it. Yep. And it's something that if, again, you're resistant to trying a different approach, I think is helpful. And there's many forms. There's guided meditation. There's just trying to be silent. You can put on whatever kind of music. There's also Jedi meditation music yeah. I've been listening to recently, <laughs> preparing for the new Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Um, anyways, there's, you know, breath work, which, uh, well, you know, you can do breath work as a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some people would define meditation in very sharp, specific ways. Yeah. But, you know, the more present you can be with meditation, the more powerful it is. And so, you know, if you feel like you can be really present with walking or running or praying or being in the car, mm-hmm. you know, doing these things um, intentionally and with as much presence as possible will yeah. 
decrease that stress level. Yeah. Even if it's just a reset for that moment, and then you can think about that moment later on throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's important to highlight the fact that there are so many types of meditation. So go on Google and search meditation techniques. Read through them and see which one would fit best for you or which one you want to try. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that. And I was so surprised at how many different techniques there were. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Oh, this one's really cool too. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different things that you can look at if you don't like a certain form of meditation that you Mm. think that's meditation. There's so many other forms that may be more appealing to you. So, so search that out and try and find that out to help, you know, make that easier for yourself. Um, We talked a little bit about breathing exercises A lot of times meditation will incorporate breathing exercises in that. Um, But at the same time, breathing exercises can be easier for some people to implement Mm -hmm. because it's something that's active. They're doing it and it's not this weird hippie thing that you're doing. Um, So I think that's another thing to go on and research different breathing exercises because there's a ton of them out there. You got Wim Hof. You got... Mm-hmm. Um, Love me some Wim Hof. Oh, yeah. That's that's a pretty good one. And so research those and try them. See if they work for you because those ones can really be um, something to help calm your mind as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, another thing, we've talked about this in this podcast and many others, but exercise. Exercise is a form of stress, but it also can be a stress reliever for a lot of people too. Mm -hmm. I know for me and you, it's very much a stress reliever. It helps kind of dispense some excess energy, clear our mind, Mm -hmm. and just lets us be present in the moment. Yep. And for me, I normally don't like working out with other people. Like (laughs) that is my time. And you know, if I work out with somebody, it's it's because I and you know enjoy their company, or I know it's meaningful to them, or you know for whatever reason. But um, you know, you don't have to work out by yourself. Yeah. You know, it could be the opposite case. If you feel better and less stressed when you're working out with a partner, a trainer, some kind of class, you know, that can be on top of the glute four and all the other fun benefits of exercise. Doing it with people can be stress relieving mm-hmm. too, and so just the fact of you can exercise for the glucose aspect and then you can exercise for the stress relieving aspect yeah. and it can be just a very valid reason to do it. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like that incorporation of that sense of community because mm-hmm. that can be another thing that really helps bring down your stress level. Cause if you're one of those people who, cause I can get this way sometimes feels like you have to do everything or you kind of shut yourself off from other people mm-hmm. and you, you find a community that really helps lift you up. Mm -hmm. It's really powerful and can really make you feel much better and less stress. Well, that's why CrossFit's so big. Yeah, exactly. It's a community. It's Mm -hmm. a cult. Like, I mean, just people supporting one another. Yeah, cheering for each other. And there's no better feeling having a cheering squad when you're doing something you never thought you could do. Yep. And, yeah, that community is is so huge. Um, And there's communities on Facebook then, too, you know, doing the same thing, you know. Yep. And just supporting each other and that you can find. And, you know, it's, it's the sense of community is such a impactful thing on your health and your stress. And yeah. the feeling of connection to others and connecting on whether things you like or exercise or, you know, certain situations or hardships, 
you know, that feeling of connection and social health is so important and is a part of that mental health. And these things are part of the stress health, which yeah. is part of everything. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yep. And that kind of goes along with another thing I want to talk about, which is just doing what you love to do. Mm, yes. That can be a stress reliever in and of itself, whether that's something that's very short and concise that you can do day to day or something that you can look forward to every week or mm-hmm. once a couple weeks or once in a month something that you love to do that's going to be a good stress reliever for you is very powerful for you Mm -hmm. yeah this could be things like hobbies like if you you want to build birdhouses you should build birdhouses you know and i can't in reality you know this might seem on the list of things to do versus an individual might seem one of the lowest things yeah you know we have there's always something to do our society is always overworked and felt like underpaid and all these other things. And you get home from work and you you eat, you try to take care of your family. I mean, I don't, I don't have any kids or a family or anything like that. So I can't speak from personal experience, but I know in general, regardless, you always need to make time for the things that matter to you. Mm -hmm. And making time for doing the things that you love is so important. And you need to have that selfishness. Selfishness is not a negative word. It shouldn't be a negative word, at least, you know, if you are selfish, that means you care about yourself. You have to fill yourself up to pour into others. You can't f- pour into others from an empty cup. Yep. And so if that means building your birdhouses, it means building your birdhouses. That means airplanes, airplanes. If that means um, watching a specific show with intention, that means exercise, you know, whatever it might be, you know, doing it with intention is is probably the most important aspect of it. Oh yeah, because I think you can easily, when you're stressed, shut down and just watch, put on Friends, yeah, uh, for Netflix or The Mandalorian yeah. on Disney Plus, <laughs> um, you know. But whatever it is, you know, you can zone out, and that is a negative type of distraction. But if you're looking forward to this, and not necessarily a reward, but looking at it like I'm doing this for me, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yep. Period. And when you can look at yourself and not feel guilty for doing something for yourself with intention, that is the one of the best stress relievers out there. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think it's important to outline to making time for yourself because like if you have a family, there's a lot of time consumption there with your job, with, you know, your other responsibilities and then coming home and then you know, I don't want to say dealing with your family, but like <laughs> there is a certain level of, I just kind of want to have my time. Sure. And so budgeting that time, whether that's at the end of the night or maybe early in the morning before everybody wakes up, having something that you can look to or schedule out to have that time for, your, for yourself. So that way you have, like you said, you have something to pour from. Mm-hmm. to pour into other people's um and yeah i think that's that's really important yeah, i couldn't agree with you more about you know those things being so important like i said earlier you know we know the things we need to do to have a, a good life we need to eat right have the good nutrition we need to exercise we need to manage our stress you know again these seem so easy when we just hear these words and we just it's easy then to blow it off mm-hmm. but making that time for yourself because you are worth it. Cause how can you take care of, you know, yourself if you're, or take care of others if you're not taking care of yourself? You know, I think 
part of all of this too is you know finding a why you know why you want to take care of yourself why do you no longer want to be type 2 diabetic why do you want to prevent type 2 diabetes if you're following the pre-diabetic realm you know and starting with why is one of the most important things you can do and a, a mentor of mine uh, once said that if you don't know what your why is you start with who you know who would you do this for oh yes you know is it your family member mm-hmm. is it your wife is it your kid is it your grandkid that isn't even born yet you know wow yeah attaching something like that and attaching a who to why you need to you know take control of your health and your life um, and get things on track is is probably the easiest way to start forming that why and then once you start with who it becomes into a, a bigger purpose of you know um, for yourself and then you might attach the why then to a bigger source of community and then that might even continue to grow and grow and grow eventually to you know changing the world and which you know if your why isn't big enough and doesn't scare you then it's not it's not the right why you yeah. know some might say but you know when getting started along this path you know starting with who and caring about yourself enough to take care of others is so vital and all these things again seem easy but the consistency of them and doing them every day is the hard part but that's when you have the communities for and that's what's going to continue to build each other up good i like it i like it Mm -hmm. very motivational well in my monotone voice i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) but that being said you know we've been talking a lot about what we can do and should do but um thinking about here in the now Dr. Grady, my question for you is what was your most recent blood sugar? So I'm doing much better than the last time we did this. Oh, okay. And I'm very happy about it because it's actually like the the number that we like to see mm-hmm. on our glucometer, mm-hmm. that perfect 100. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm 111 right now, says my CGM. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, just... And even if I wasn't, like, my, I know my self-worth isn't that number. And, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you're dealing with, you know, whatever numbers might appear in your life, you know, there's plenty of other things in your life that have the ability to call you to that greater life. And, you know, we're all going through this together. We all have things that we want to improve and things that uh, we wish to help ourselves and help others for. And, you know, it just takes it one step at a time. And, you know, with these things, whether you're type 2, type 1, you know, it's it's within your power to gain that freedom. Mm-hmm. Very so. good. So we've been talking about a lot of nerdy and complicated stuff. Um, and we'll still be talking about nerdy stuff, but it's just getting rolling. We're going to loosen up and talk about a lot of great topics. we got a lot of great topics coming your way, and we're going to have lots of fun with it. So stick around. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you found value in today's conversation, we would appreciate it if you gave a five-star review. It really helps us branch out our community and get our message across to those who really need to hear it. If you want to interact with us on social media, you can follow us on The Die Buddies Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or moral outrages, you can email us at thediebuddiespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.